Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of The Front Free. My name is Adam Boltwood. Joining me, as always, is the one and only Lawrence McKenna and, uh, of course, the statman himself, David O'Brien. Hello, Adam. Who joins oh. us having just fallen off of his bike. Yeah, it, wasn't, right. it wasn't good banter, to be honest. The road really did me over. <laughs> Shit banter. Did you, did you get road. up and hit the road and say, I was like, that's bad banter, road? What are you doing? You're an idiot. Get out of my way. Dave, Dave what happened? What happened? Well, I was cycling through a traffic lights, and my chain just came off, my and it just God. flung me off the bike, roly-poly, hand is a mess, terrible banter. You um, and Kanye West have the same problem, the chain's too heavy. Ooh. And yet you're soldiering through, Dave, you're here. I'm here, with the lads. Sorry, what is going on? Are we in some sort of carling ad? <laughs> Guys, there's great banter, and I'm here with the lads, you absolute legend. <laughs> <laughs> You've ruined the moment, Lawrence. Yeah. We were enjoying some, some great lap banter there. Yeah. Anyway. Perfect. Come on. Thank you once again to everyone listening for downloading the Front Free, whether you're listening through SoundCloud or iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, do make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. You wouldn't want that. Also, be sure to review our podcast because iTunes likes that sort of thing. This week's comment of the week is from one such review from a user coincidentally called Great Podcast TF Free. <laughs> He said, I really like listening to the front three when I get back from school. It's great banter. Oh, yes, there is. Funny, true stats from Lawrence. Great and smart facts from Dave. And to round it all off, the leader, Adam, sticks it together with great information and banter. He's used banter twice in the review, and that's why I liked it. Really? Which Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle are you, Adam? Does that make you Leonardo? Um, like that. Well, technically, yes. I'd say you're Raphael in many ways. Oh, I'm disappointed by that. And Dave is Dave. <laughs> Dave Donatello. Obviously. No, he's Michelangelo, mate. Well, yeah, come on, bro. Give me a good one. 
Lawrence. Uh, lovely comment anyway there. Thank you for the kind words. If you do want to write us a review, please go ahead and do so on iTunes. And you can also send us comments, suggestions, and questions on Twitter at the front three. So go and follow us there. But anyway, on with this week's episode. Where else is there to start, gents, but with John Stones? So oh. yesterday he handed in a transfer request to Everton, a written transfer request, no less, to force for a move to Chelsea. This saga has been rumbling on for a few, a few weeks now, Lawrence. Surely his leaving Goodison Park is inevitable now. Uh, maybe, maybe it's at this point that John Stones wanted to leave things amicably or uh, well. he was <laughs> still due to make a decision. I mean, that's the point, though, is that um, uh, Roberto Martinez almost preempted this the other day and said, if he comes with a transfer request now, he's too late. He should have done this earlier. And to some extent, you see that he's right in saying that because it's the 25th of August. On the, uh, at t- time of recording, it's the 25th of August. And... To come in this late and sort of leave your club in the lurch, that you're supposed to have some sort of care for, um, is a little bit. Str- it, it strikes me as a little bit strange, but it also strikes me as well. Maybe he's trying to, you know, force the club's hand. Um, and I just, I just sort of think it, it's similar to the Sado Berahino thing, uh, Berahino thing, because they could just say, well, you know what, we reject it, and we want, we want whatever price it is that we want for it. And if you, if you are going to go and you don't want to be here, then we're going to get a really good price for you. And that price is looking like it's going to be forty million pounds. Yeah, Dave. that's gone up. That's gone up from it's, it's like twenty-five. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Prices is rising crazy. for English players. It's just it's absolutely nuts. Obviously, we know he's a very good defender, but he's still young and he's raw. He needs time to play football. And for me, again, he's you know the Raheem Sterling thing. Obviously, Sterling this season has played a lot of football for City. I didn't expect that to happen, but he's done very, very well. Is John Stones going to get into the Chelsea first team? That's a great question. Is he not now? But you look at Terry, and there's been a lot of discussion about Terry's role in this Chelsea team in the opening games of the season. Taken off by Mourinho at half-time against Manchester City, sent off at the weekend against West Brom. And a lot of people are sort of suggesting that maybe this is the beginning of the end for John Terry, and John Stones is actually going to get a lot more game time than you maybe would have thought before the season started. Guardian uh, podcasts were, were dead on when they said it. I think that um, at the moment it would it would seem that someone like Stones need a mar- needs a marshal alongside him, and that's possibly not Cahill, um, mm-hmm. and that's definitely not Zuma. But there are there are rumblings that Mourinho is not even talking to John Terry at this stage, and I don't know if wow. that's true. Um, but there are rumblings that you know that's when players strange, need to go, then Mourinho almost gets to the point where he kind of goes, "Would someone tell John Terry that?" What do you think has changed then, between this season and last season? Because, like we were saying last season, John Terry played every single minute of Chelsea's Premier League campaign. He was superb by all accounts, especially towards the end of the season. What's changed over the, What's changed over the three months of the summer? Then, or are we just blowing this all out of proportion? I think that's what it is, isn't it? It's natural variation. You know, John Terry was because he was so consistent last season. He's going to have a few bad performances and he's had two pretty... You know, his performance against City, I, I, I do think that Mourinho has thrown the blame on him. He really has. Mourinho, you know, I'd said before about the, the whole single pivot versus uh, silver should have happened. Matic should have been on silver. John Terry's getting the blame for something that potentially isn't really his fault. The sending off, fair enough, but that happens. Defenders get sent off. Player of John Terry, Terry's aggressive nature and how he's you know, very vocal, he's going to get sent off. For me, it's just a bit of natural variation and it's been blown massively out of proportion. But if the reports are correct with Mourinho, then you know it's looking like the potential John Stones move is on then. Well, I mean, it should be on, shouldn't it? But, but then also you would say that the reason John Terry got sent off in this match was because of poor tactical uh, I mean, poor tactical play from Mourinho, that he had a fullback on one side that was really left far up the pitch and it sort of left John Terry exposed. Yeah. 
I want to move on um, from the transfer news a little bit. We'll come back to all, all the gossip, of course. But we'll yeah. talk a little bit about Arsenal. So on yeah. Monday night, they drew 0-0 against Liverpool. Brilliant. Great game. Very entertaining game, has to be said. But arguable yeah. whether they should have drawn. There was an offside goal. Aaron Ramsey yep. uh, banging one in from an offside position. Uh, Brendan Rodgers brilliantly saying in his post-match press conference that it was a fantastic decision. Ramsey's shirt was offside, which is <laughs> interesting. <laughs> the man either, was either way, it was margin. You can't margin. play the ball with your shirt. <laughs> you know. They, you know. Well, yeah, but, you, but you, wherever the shirt is, you'll be able to play the ball with. I don't think Brendan Rodgers is right with that. Aaron Ramsey was, was massively onside. I want to say massively. I'll say it's marginal. I'd say it was marginal. Yeah, it's, it's it was close. tight. It was, it was, it was a tight. close one. Now, he's uh, onside. It's nothing. Yeah, but it, yeah, but you, you're not ma- massively onside. <laughs> doesn't matter how close. No, he, you're onside or you're not. He was onside. It's very, it seemed, I mean, I know that camera angle sort of angled, but he's onside. Well, it, it brought up an interesting question a lot of people are asking, including Milo. Milo fits on Twitter. He's saying a very relevant Hello, question would be, someone. do we need instant video technology in football? For me, it's a no-brainer. You say yes, surely. No, you shouldn't have video technology. The referees, the linesmen and the referees and the officials should be able to call those decisions. Goals, maybe not. Goal line technology is a brilliant thing. But if we get the game to stop starty where you know, something like that happens in the game, it stops and then you've got to check the TV and whatever. The tempo goes out of football. And yeah, I think Dave, that's... Maybe, maybe that's not it though, Dave. Maybe you've just got, you've just got, I mean, it, it's difficult for the referee who's on the pitch. So what if he had a team who were just saying that's onside play, make that that's a goal that's but then onside. again that's judgment so we've seen so a number what? of examples this weekend where there's been players that have been marginally onside offside you know Lukaku yeah. Wayne Rooney Aaron Ramsey where these decisions are 50-50 and I think that it goes down to the yeah, human that, this is not a 50 that's not a 50 that, but this isn't a 50-50 decision this is a decision that the game could have turned on because it was a it was 1-0 to Arsenal at that point you, you, I mean you know that I mean, Arsenal would have gone on and won the game, but it certainly would have put them in an advantageous position. And then throughout the rest of the second half, Liverpool were the team on the front foot. And it, it's strange because all you need is someone, three people watching the TV in your ear who can all go, that's onside, right. In his ear, straight away, that's onside, allow that. And the re- you don't have to, you know, because you've got a bit of a stoppage in play anyway, where the player's turning around going, oh, well, God, I wish that, you know, what, what is it? So what's what's the problem there? Well, if, well, if you're if you're only doing it, if you're making it in fast decisions, hmm, yeah. what's your problem? I'd argue that it's down to the officiating. Then the linesman hasn't done his job properly. Obviously, hasn't done his job. Then that's where you covered yourself. So then, then, then it shouldn't have to cover. If the linesman is good enough at his job and can call off the offside decision correctly, we do not need the technology. So is it but not the fact to do is with they, educating but, but those linesmen? Yeah, but yeah, but you can't you can't uh, you can't go for the the error the uh, a human error. It doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to make errors. I understand that, but then this is the top level. This is a mass, you know, I think, again, this goes back to the, the money in the game and it's being, you know, it's not being put in the correct places. You know, coaches aren't getting enough, referees aren't getting enough money in training. The Premier League is the top, one of the top leagues in the world and we need to spend more money, more time in developing young linesmen, referees and whatever. Is the linesman a specialist position? That's a question. Personally, I don't know whether it is. But, but Dave, that, is that's it? a separate, that's almost a it, it is. I mean, it's specialist in the sense that if you watch them training, then yes, that's a very specialist position because those guys are yeah, working but- very hard at that. And especially if you go to the World Cup, then that, that becomes especially honed. But my point would be, what's the problem with having a good linesman and then a backup to that good linesman that's three people who are 
trained to use video technology and trained to uh, quickly speak into the referee's ear and his, and his linesman team and say, you know, that's onside, that's offside. I, I don't see what the problem is there. No, I think, I think that's fair. It's just, I think it, it, it go, I don't know. It's just, it seems that we just don't want the tempo to go in the game. That's the only thing that I'm sort of worried about. Let me move on to the other aspect of the game, which um, was, of course, Gary Neville's talking point beforehand. Yeah. So before the game uh, on Monday Night Football on Sky Sports here in the UK, Gary Neville was suggesting that Arsenal have been missing a powerful presence in midfield um, since the Invincibles of 2004. So he was sort of saying that Arsene Wenger's failure to sign such a player was arrogance on his part um, when Thierry Henry suggested it wasn't arrogance but belief, you know, belief that Arsenal can, can play their style, play their way against any team and win. Yeah. Neville said it's actually therefore a misheld belief and that Wenger must be naive in failing to sign, you know, that sort of player. So what what do you make of this argument, Lawrence? Do you think, I mean, it's going to be going on for years, people have been saying this about Arsenal and their midfield. It's lacking that power. It's lacking that presence. Do you think Arsene Wenger is naive or is he arrogant or is he neither? I don't think he's either, to be honest. Um, I think it's it, it's good analysis in the first place that they do need someone in, in the midfield. But I don't know if you can then transpose feelings or ideas onto someone and say that. I mean, they're probably much closer to Arsene Wenger than I am, especially Thierry Henry. And... Uh, that was the interesting part, wasn't it? When, when Henri said that, no, 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 it's just Arsenal believe they can play. But that, the way, that's they, the, way they play. That's that naivety quite, then. Well, I don't, but what what is naive about um, trying to instill a belief if if that's well, you know the, the, if, the if, fact if that constantly... they haven't won? Uh, I know they won the FA Cup in the last years, but they haven't competed for the tr- for the Premier League for the Champions League for years, and everyone has identified that as a, a glaring yeah. weakness in their squad. So sure, isn't it naive? And we saw Arsenal last season against Man City go and play a sensible game. They, they, then, they adapted, the, won the, the game, the, and everyone was praising them. The problem is that what, what we've got there is we can't say Wenger is naive. You could say it may be naive for him not to sign another central right. midfielder and put it in there. But for Wenger to hold the belief that his team is good enough may not be naive because he's much close to the team, etc. All I'm saying is maybe save the judgment and just say, look, it's quite clear that Arsenal do need someone with strength in there. If Wenger believe those, you know, that it's one of the players within the squad or we outside are analysing and saying, this is what you need. We don't know what Wenger's belief is that he needs. Maybe he I, doesn't want to play a midfielder in there like that. And it's, it's, for me, it's tactically, it is tactically naive. It's massive that the whole, the whole <laughs> point of having a, a midfield, you no, know, two ball players in midfield is that you have one to cover. At the moment, Coquelin hasn't developed enough physically to play that role. Benteke absolutely, you know, the, the, that zone that Benteke was picking up the ball in, he won something like 16 aerial duels yesterday. It was absolutely physically so, so... The, the Arsenal back four couldn't deal with, with Christian Benteke. And one of the, my big concerns is that Coquelin can't do that job. He, you know, you look at Busquets, who plays for Barcelona. Arsenal are, are very similar in their footballing beliefs to Barcelona. They yeah. always have a physical midfielder in Sergio Busquets, who's one of the best players in the world. Arsenal don't have that. And that's until they get that, they aren't going to win the Premier League. And that is crystal clear for me last night. Also, their midfield balance was wrong in terms of they had Coquelin, uh, Santi Cazorla, and then Ozil. Like so, you've got a you've got a player sitting in front of your back four. You've got a deep lying ball player in Carzola, mm-hmm. and then you've got Meza Ozil that's drifting too far forward. It was a very disjoint midfield for me. You should have switched out Ozil, and you should have played Ramsey in that central center 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 of the park of the pitch. Liverpool, that would have worked. That would Liverpool, have been perfect. Liverpool, Liverpool also played a very, game. but they played a good. They played a weird shape though, didn't they? Because mm-hmm. they played like a. Uh, obviously, the, the 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 most deep lying player was Lucas always, 
Yes. Um, but then there was sort of Milner, switched, Milner and, and Chan ahead of like Chan was in a weird sort of ball roaming slightly towards the left hand side yeah. kind of role just near Coutinho. So he gave him an out and then he was switching around and it looked, it, I mean, it looked nice and fluid for me. It worked reasonably well. I would still say if I was to take a player out of the midfield, I know this might sound naive, then I would much rather upgrade. If I was to upgrade any player in there, it would be Lucas within the midfield. Mm. Mm. Um, let me ask you this. So looking at that game last night, um, obviously on, on, was- on Monday, on Monday, sorry. As Dave is sort of um, pointing to you there, Arsenal were overrunning midfield in many ways. They're exposed at the back. They were fantastic looked, going forward. Looked very they good moved going the ball forward. really well. Game but they, they, they also had the Man United problem of being far too narrow in attack. I don't understand yeah. why Ramsey's playing on the right and then um, you know the like of Oxley chamberlain who has been fantastic for the last two years in terms of being a winger. And he's not playing. It's just, for me, Wenger is... It's com- it really confuses me. It's like basic stuff. I just don't understand why they're doing certain things. Like Arsenal have the talent, have the ability. Why is why for me you're playing Ozil centrally when you've got a player of Alexis Sanchez's quality who plays that position better than Ozil? I feel like Liverpool shut them down quite well and, and shut down those moves quite well. And, and it, 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 he made the changes too late. Someone in my office was making the point today they would have liked to see Oxlade-Chamberlain running at Gomez for... Yes, um, you know, exactly. maybe forty-five minutes. Even then, I mean, I think one of the best players. That part of the reason that Arsenal's width was shut down was because Klein and Gomez did a good job yeah. at shutting that, their width down whenever they got it. Gomez, I mean, Gomez nomination man of the match last night just from his defend- defensive display and then bringing the ball forward. Do you think either of these t- teams are title challengers? Before the start of the season, we were saying Arsenal they strengthen where they needed to strengthen. These guys are going to actually compete this season. We're three games in. They haven't scored for, what, six consecutive games at home, stretching back to last season. They've only won once. I feel like before the season started, we were talking about Man United as title challengers, Arsenal, maybe even Liverpool a little bit. No. But you look at it now, Man City, Yeah, it looks like almost a foregone conclusion. Do you think we're in for another Premier League season where it is almost a boring title race? No, I think it's going to be quite interesting between the two club, well, Man City and Chelsea. I think Arsenal and Man United and Liverpool, they lack someone of that next level quality um, that, that will sort of take them to that next level. No, I don't, I don't mean that, like, for example, you've got Alexis Sanchez at Arsenal, you have Bastian Schweinsteiger at United, you have a player of Coutinho's quality at Liverpool, but I think they all miss a little cog. Like, for example, Liverpool do miss a defensive midfielder. Arsenal miss a defensive midfielder. United miss a striker. They miss a centre-back. They miss a, you know, there's a whole host of problems there. But I think it's like there's, there's another... To get to the Man City and Chelsea level, Arsenal, Man United and Liverpool have to like invest very heavily in really, really good players. And at the moment in world football, there isn't too many of those players. So I just feel that it's kind of there's an extra step that these right. clubs have got to take. And, and it's, it's very difficult at this current market to take those steps. It's also down to looking at, do, do you want to buy those steps or do you want to sort of say, right, well, exactly. what our aim this season is fourth place. So say Liverpool would say this season, our aim is fourth place and then we go from there. Yeah. Um, but but the, so the issue there is you're relying on someone like Coutinho to take it to the next level. Yeah. But then the, you've also, you, Lawrence, the last night, is, you does had, he then stay? You had Gomez, who was yeah. pretty good. And you had that lad that came on, Jordan, is it Ross? Jordan Ross, yeah. Yeah, Ross- who, who looked very, very neat in, in, in possession. I've said before that I prefer to go down the Liverpool route at the moment where they're looking like they're investing in youth and it's the correct mm. way to go if you want to get to that next level because then you've got a generation of players that get to the next level at the same time then bang, your title challengers. You if, know what I mean? If, if, if they, stay, if they stay dedicated and if you yes. then, and if then when they get to... I mean, I, I, saw some, key, isn't it? I saw some very weird comments today from Franny Lee 
Friendly Lee. Um, um, now, today he was making comments, and I think his judgment sounds a little bit off on this. He basically said uh, Liverpool were naive when they uh, basically when they offered uh, Sterling a hundred grand a week or whatever, um, and that they allowed him to sit on that contract for such a long time. I, I think what he's saying there is that money talks for some people in the game. I don't think it talks for everyone in the game, but he, he's his analysis I think is slightly off because if you look at and we'll probably come into this later but the Borussia Dortmund squad or you look at the even the Bayern Munich squad there are some guys within there who are not on a massive wage like Mm. Vidal what's he on 90 grand a week 95 Um, yeah nothing 95 grand what what's still in on um 200 odd to me in comparison what's Marco Royce on at Dortmund it's like 80k I think something like that exactly so don't tell me that yeah, money's that's... the only thing that speaks. Francis Lee was saying today Liverpool were, were naive. And it was possibly, he's possibly talking about a very specific case with Raheem Sterling. But he says they were naive to think that they could let him sit or even offer him 100k and that he would take it. I don't it... think that's true. And I think that's Manchester City or Manchester City putting out almost a form of propaganda there. It, saying, yeah. you've got to pay your money if you want your top class players. That's not true. Go to the Bundesliga, go yep. to other leagues, and you'll see that there's more value it, than, there's, than just I the money. This is very interesting. I feel like we've got slightly off topic though from just talking about the title. <laughs> the title but it's still very interesting. <laughs> what, 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 Let me... what we are saying though is that the, the title will be generally, most people, the, the table numbers are decided by A, how much money you spend and B, how much money you spend on wages. And that's not, yeah. not true in every country. Let me, so Dave was sort of making the point there about, you know, not having superstar player, those, those sort of players you can take to the next level. Mm-hmm. You'd argue Manchester United are one of those teams so they have had a slow start to the season uh, drawing nil nil again at the weekend uh, to Newcastle they've only scored two goals one of which was their own obviously Yanazai against Villa mm-hmm. but there was a lot of discussion about Wayne Rooney specifically after this game a lot of United fans quite angry with his performance and there's been a lot of discussion about similar to John Terry about Wayne Rooney's role in the team and whether you know <laughs> whether he, he may be past his best Dave so, I, I think that's fair to say. He's been past his best since 2011. And that's the blatant honest truth. And you can't make those opinions on something like Twitter or something like YouTube because you get hammered. This has been my belief since that time. But I think that's actually a very, that's quite popular opinion. The but then it's the popular opinion now. When I made that point then, I was absolutely hammered for it. Absolutely hammered. But the thing with Wayne Rooney, he peaked when he was young. He was a young talent come to the game peaked probably you know 2007 2008 when he sort of is in mid mid 20s is a different player at the moment Wayne Rooney isn't giving enough for Manchester United you see the likes of Javier Hernandez on the bench that gives his absolute all when he comes on nearly scored against Newcastle and it's confusing Van Hal's kind of shot himself in the foot by making Wayne Rooney captain it's craziness imagine if Schweinsteiger was at the club last season would Wayne Rooney be captain 100% no but it's an issue it's a big issue for Manchester United they lack goals going forward and Wayne Rooney hasn't scored in 14 no 15 league uh, league games away from home mm. so you're looking at Swansea away is he going to break that duck there's questions there really is Lawrence what do, you make, mean, what do you make of that point Dave sort of saying there about how he did start young he was 16 I believe when he broke into the first team at Everton played a full season in his first you know his, his debut season at Everton he's yeah. been playing now it, since 2002 he started he's been playing for a long time he's almost 30 he's going to be 30 in October so do you think this is simply a case of the amount of minutes? I saw someone comparing the amount of minutes that, say, Wayne Rooney, 29, has played compared to Pedro, who's 28. This is on the yeah. second captain's podcast. And yeah. They're basically making the point that you could fit Pedro's career 
two and a half times into Rooney's wow. in terms of minutes played and games played, that sort of thing. So he's it's played an awful what, lot of football. Is it that now all catching up with? Yeah, I, I, to, to be honest, I can't comment on that because I don't know how that compares to, say, other England players. So I don't know, you know, how, how does that right. compare to Paul Scholes? How does that compare to Steven Gerrard? How does it compare to anyone? You know, how far does he run each game? Is he running further than anyone else? Um, I'd also say, how well does he look after himself in the off season? A lot of people argue that he doesn't, very, very doesn't, bad. That he doesn't look after himself well, <laughs> and 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 so you'd also say it's at that point, um, you know, I, we have to, you know, your analysis of that is not necessarily a critical, but it certainly goes down the mm. the road of no. Well, Wayne, you've got to look after yourself as well. And you've not always done yourself favors. Yeah, that's just the fact. And it's partly it? sort of well, if you want to demand those, I mean, you know, the few seasons ago, we were saying basically to him, if you want to demand those high wages, you've pretty much got to turn up in some sort of shape we can work with here. Do you think there's a criticism of Van Gaal in here, though, Dave? Because you're looking at Rooney, as people are saying, he's lost that explosive pace. Maybe he's not a player who should be playing at number nine role. I know last season, uh, it was the media was sort of hammering Van Gaal for not playing him up front, but it feels like Rooney is playing in the wrong position in some ways, and maybe Van Gaal should have identified that, should have strengthened the squad in certain areas, for example, up front, instead of letting Van Persie go, etc., so I did, I did an analysis on YouTube this weekend of, of Man United's failings versus Newcastle. Uh, to put it the long and short Love of it, it. Um, you've got to check it out. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty interesting. You What's know, your channel two- name? <laughs> oh, it's just Dave O'Brien TV. Check it on YouTube. I'll put a link there. Dave O'Brian TV. Brilliant. TV. Brilliant Love stuff. It. Anyway, no, it's, it's shortcomings of Man United. They, play with, they don't play with enough width at the moment. Um, the space in the middle gets absolutely overloaded with bodies. It's too easy to defend against and so forth. But... I think the really interesting thing about Lou Van Hal is that sometimes in his career he hasn't got the best out of forwards. You know, you look at the like of, likes of Luca Toni, who he fell out with. His his scoring record before um, before uh, LVG joined um, Bayern Munich was ridiculous. It was like thirty goals a season, and, and that's what his just that's what he did. Um, and you look at Wayne Rooney, and, and then you look at Falcao, and you look at Van Persie last season. These are all number nines that have got quality and none of them performed. It, you know, this is the thing. We've got to, Man United have got to free the, free the space up on the pitch for the number nine to do some damage. And I, I don't think Wayne Rooney's the right man for Lou Van Hout. I think we need a younger striker in there that's got a bit more movement about and that does go pull wide and whatever, not just come deep. Wayne Rooney comes Maybe, to the ball yeah. a little bit too much. We need a, we need a player that's going to go in behind, going to work the channels. It's, it's sort of a different striker than what we've got at the moment. And Maybe Neymar, eh? <laughs> Neymar, okay. what, 240 million euros <laughs> or whatever it Absolute was. Absolute bargain. A load of rubbish. Um, let me move on quickly. Uh, let's talk briefly about Slavon Bilic, Dave. So this is someone <laughs> who you tipped to be sacked. The first Premier League manager to be sacked at the start of the season. Things were looking pretty rosy uh, when they beat they Arsenal out of the Emirates in the first, uh, first game there. But they're looking a little bit disorganised at the moment. You know, they say a, le- a week is a long time in football. Two weeks is an eternity, obviously, now we've had back-to-back defeats at home to Leicester and Bournemouth for West Ham. So do you, th- mm-hmm. do you think the, the fans should be worried, Dave? I just think that sometimes Bilic doesn't know his best team. We had that with Croatia where he had so many good central midfielders that he played a really weird system. Like the system was so, so weird. It was sort of, you've got like, it was like a midfield diamond, not a midfield diamond. I think we're having that same problem at, at West Ham. We don't know, he doesn't know his best team. He's playing a very narrow system. You know, he's either playing a sort of four-four-two narrow diamond, or he's playing a um, a four-three-two-one with the two attacking midfielders being quite narrow. 
I, I just, it's, for me, Bilic lacks something. He just lacks something. I don't know what it is, but he lacks something. Lawrence, what do you think? Do you think the fans should be worried because, you know, things, I know it's only three games in, but Sam Allardyce last season, safe pair of hands. Next season, they're moving into the Olympic Stadium. It would be a bit of a disaster if that was, if they did that in the championship, for example, getting ahead of myself, but. Uh, I, I would say they, he lacks a synergy between sometimes with the things that he says and his character and then the way that um, he is as a manager. Maybe that's mm. the lack that Dave's talking about. The problem is that it, sometimes if you have a, a character that maybe doesn't always match up and you don't express it very well or you express controversial views, then some people are going to try and string you up. And, I, I, and when I say string you up, I don't mean that in a bad way. But I mean, he said some strange things in his time. At one point, we've got to remember this. This was a man that the English media was pretty much obsessed with any time that they had an international match because it was like, isn't he refreshing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the more that people looked into it, the more that they found him to be maybe quite a divisive character. Um, and sometimes that's it. Is the, There's a very fine line between um, genius and crazy. And, mm-hmm. you know, people, people are very quick to flick between the two um, in, in terms of their public character. I'd say there's probably a lot of value in him behind closed doors. Um, but I think also when we come down to analysing him, like Dave says, there's something you can't quite put your finger on. And a lot of that's going to be down to the almost intangible nature of character in football. There's another man that you can't quite put a finger on, I'd say. The, the so-called Tinker Man. Not so mm-hmm. much nowadays, Claudio Ranieri. Yeah. So things are looking well for him uh, with Leicester City at the moment in comparison to Bilic. Yeah. So uh, another point against Spurs on the mm-hmm. weekend, a one-all draw. What, what do you think he's he's been doing well at Leicester? He's, he's obviously carrying on the good work of Nigel Pearson um, from last season when you know the team were in great form. But what has he done or what has he brought to the team? I think the really interesting part of that is that he has kept the form of Leicester City. Leicester City was so good at the end of last season. A really interesting stat that I've just sort of fell on before the, before the show is 71% Ooh. of Leicester City's goals in the Premier League this season have come in the first half. They're very, very quick to start. They get mm. in your face. They put pressure on. And they've changed their system. They've, they've sort of gone to a, a bit more of a traditional 4-4-2 this season. But it's got the similar traits as the 4-3-3 they played last year, where it is a very fast start. But then you look at this, you know, some more stats that jump out for you is Leicester City have completed 565 passes in the Premier League this season. That's a good 150 less than any other team. So they've got the worst pass completion numbers. Then you look at their possession, 43%. Um, their, their average possession is this season. The question now comes is, can they continue this form? with? They are quite bad factors. Like You can't continue a really good attacking performance over and over again when you don't have that much ball. They're literally well, yeah. taking their chances. Mares is actually on fire. You know, Vardy's on fire. These players are going to drop out of form, and that's when we're going to see the tinker man in action. What is he going to do next? Exactly. How does he tinker? And when a team finds him out, or when a team, not finds him out, but when a team says, okay, we've worked out what you do already, because essentially it's so early on in the season that people are almost expecting, well, they maybe were expecting a, an, um, a more bullish style, more Leicester of last season to step out, and it just didn't happen. And now I'm, I'm imagining, you know, what's going to happen when they come up against a side that sits back and says, all right, fine, like you want your low possession, that's fine. You, we'll soak up all that. And, you know, we'll we'll pick out maybe an Okazaki or a Vardy for special treatment from any one of our top class players. And we'll see how well you do. But mm. then you'd say that, that doesn't stop them from making 40 points because there's going to be enough teams Correct. they can pick on out there, aren't there? Now, the point. I want to move on to perhaps, I'm, I'm sh- I think it's fair to say all of our favourite 
uh, bit of news this week. Yeah. And that is the news that Jermaine Defoe is looking yeah. to hire an executive <laughs> yes. personal assistant. Yes. So, Lawrence, a footballer personal, he's looking for a personal assistant. What would you think those responsibilities would entail normally? I mean, just, I mean, just, you know, I mean, there's a very big difference, Adam, between an executive personal it's assistant true. and a personal assistant. I mean, we all know we've all had one. Um, <laughs> of course, yeah, that's that's I mean, my point yeah. at this point, it, it, it's, it's that, you know, Maybe and maybe if you haven't had an executive personal experience uh, ex- uh, assistant like you know Jermaine and I have, then you won't really realise the importance of it until you so lose these, it. These. Now, with a high-profile player like Jermaine, who's played around the world, he's been integrated into such squads as Tottenham, Toronto, <laughs> all the big teams. names in there. Um, you know, he's looking for someone that's twenty-four-seven, three-six-nine, baby. <laughs> 25 days, uh, 25 days a year, you want a holiday? No, you've got to be on call 24-7, bitch. If you want to get in this game, you've got to be willing to put in the hours. You want to work for Jermaine Defoe, only one of the biggest names in the game. Who's he sponsored by? That's right, the three stripes of Germany, only Adidas from the yeah. big side world. You've got to be willing to sit on that, man. You've got to be willing to, sit. You've got to, be willing to be there. He has kids. He has a fucking wife, Adam. Do you for not those, realize the pressure that's on this motherfucker? For those who haven't seen this advert, basically, it's, it's been doing the rounds. You must have seen it. But Jermaine Defoe is looking to hire an executive personal assistant with a... It means in, someone who, who lives for you. You've got exactly. to organize so let me, Jermaine's personal let, needs. Let me run Dry through, cleaners, let me run gardeners, through the responsibilities. house refurbishments, <laughs> sourcing interior designers, this? and everyday tasks. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Which actually also includes uh, making sure the fridge is stocked uh, yeah. when Jermaine is away, making sure the plants are watered, making sure the house is clean, selecting and organising wardrobe yeah. with specific designers for special events of the period. It also includes booking all social events, including the theatre, concerts, cinema, yeah. musicals, mm-hmm. restaurant bookings and recommendations, spa days and family outings. Uh, but when it gets really interesting... Is when the responsibilities to organise wardrobe with specific designers for yeah. special events. Yes. Oh but my god. The bit where it gets really interesting is when the responsibilities expand to producing iPhone apps. That was the key one. That you've got to write his <laughs> arts and make him an app at the same time. And helping to create a global brand for the Jermaine Defoe name, growing his online database on his website, Twitter, Facebook, and other social platforms, gaining further recognition within the media. You've also got to be able to plan early events, including family birthdays, family holidays, <laughs> and individual holidays. Create an inventory for holiday villas and manage and organise individual family members of which there are apparently four, plus the family pets. <laughs> You've also got to plan and organise special yearly calendar events such as Mother's Day, Black History Month and Christmas, and you've got to be on call 24-7. Now, what worries me but about this... hours, I will remind you, are 9.30 to 5.30. <laughs> this, this is an entire life that he's asking someone to, to run, essentially. Like, tw- like he's saying, 24-7, every aspect of Jermaine Defoe's life has to be controlled. What is there left for Jermaine Defoe to do? Nothing. Jermaine, I, I'm, I wasn't surprised if I'm like going shit what for Jermaine. There, what is there left for the assistant to do? If you took this job, what, you're not going to have any time to run your own life. You're going to be busy running five people's lives plus the family pet. That would be, be my point here. Is like, first of all, if, these, if, if such a person like this exists, I would love to meet them. Because if you can do that... Oh my God, that is... Oh. But why would you do it for somebody else? That's the thing. I'm sure you'd be like ultimately successful already if you can do all those things, all that, those skills. That's like, what I'm yeah, thinking. You like... if, you, if you can do all of that, 
you, there's no way also, that you think, oh, here's here's the height of of what I desire in life. Ambition, organizing yeah. Jermaine Defoe's life. It's about liaising with sponsors as well. It's like there's some sort of corporate aspect to it, which is just. I tell you what, we should apply for it, lads. Mate, is a, group, it is a job for free, free people. It is yeah, definitely three, a job for free split people. Split 60K three ways, guys. Yeah, like, we can live off yeah, of some cash. He is offering 55 to 59K Ooh. to Jermaine Defoe for this role, which is a fair amount of money, but for that job... No, it's that, not. No, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a good amount of money, but for that job, it's not, yeah. is it? You're literally doing free people's jobs. It's yeah, probably be on less than minimum wage, wouldn't you, if you worked I, it out? Yeah, there's three, there's three things. I mean, if you were to work 24 7, 365, then I would say that's so. God. But my point here, Adam, would be he's made two classic mistakes. First of <laughs> yeah. all, he called his business Defoe Enterprise Limited. It's terrible. All right. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, second of all, he advertised on a website called Sex in the City. <laughs> As in like secretaries in the city. Yeah. Sex now, the- now it, it, if you're advertising on that website, I don't know what you think you're going to get as an application back, right? He, At what point? We all know what Jermaine likes. I know the first place to go for a top-class executive personal assistant, sex and the city. Oh, there we go. Perfect. And the application's up. Oh, and I need someone who's going to organize to take it down. I think what's, uh, what, what highlights perhaps... Um how unfair the pay is, is the fact that John Shelby a few weeks ago was advertising for a personal chef. He was offering 65 grand just, oh, to, just, just to cook. But Adam, that chef had to be able to make an app as well. Don't, <laughs> don't forget this. He had, he when I say omelets. app, I mean appetizers. He just made, yeah. <laughs> it was just omelets he was making. Anyway, look, it was hilarious and incredibly ill-conceived, if I do say so myself. Um, if someone's got the job, good luck to you. Yeah, my good God, you're going to need you, it. Sylvia. You are going to need it. Um, let's talk a little bit briefly about a little Secretary bit of transfer news there. before we go on to the questions. Balotelli has gone on loan to AC Milan for the season, Lawrence. Looks great. Happy happy to see the back of him? Or I, I know you, you have a little bit of sympathy for this player. Yeah, you, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just really sick of all the anal- really poor analysis of Mario Balotelli. I know people are sick of the narrative, but don't have a go at the guy personally. Like I know people are talking about ego or these kind of things. When I, f- oh, I, I hadn't read his story and kind of the way that he got to where he is now until he signed for Liverpool. Um, I've read bits, bits here and there, but I mean, if you go and read it, then you realise that he's had quite a lot to kind of work with and against mm. and how his construction of identity and all the people around him, all those kind of things. And yeah, sure, there's been a lot of good things that have happened in his life, but that, like all those things, you almost need to like listen to a Kanye West album and be like, you know, uh, go listen to... Uh, <laughs> 
welcome to heartbreak and it's like it's like um you know my friend's showing me pictures of his kids and i'll come show his pictures of my cribs it's like it's kind of similar to that like you imagine mario listening to that and being like yeah i totally relate to this but at the same time you sort of think well it, it, you know, there's, there's a bit of sweet nature to it. So I, I'm not glad to see the back of him. I would have loved to see him do mm. well at Liverpool. Um, I, I just wish him the best. I hope he does well at AC Milan and I hope that he finds a place. The problem is it's almost if he keeps making bad decisions as to mm. where to go. I, I think, you know, the point was made not longer. Would, have, would it be good if he took a step well, down the this- league? Yeah, I, I think this is last chance. This is absolute last chance, and I think we that can't keep saying last chance. But, 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 but hold on, hold on, hold on. If we keep saying last chance, we said that at Liverpool. We said that at AC. We yeah, said now Stop. it is. He he's come out. He came out and said that. Look, this I've got to work. I've got this. This year is so important for me as a player because I've got to perform. And AC Milan right now. For me, it's like the per- perfect environment for Balotelli. They're lacking somebody like Balotelli in their side that's explosive, that can do something out of nothing. They, they played at the weekend against Fiorentina. They got beat 2-0. They played two strikers very, very similar to each other, Luis Adriano and Baca, both goal scorers. Get Balotelli with one of those. You could see something something magical happening. But and you look at Mihailovic. But, 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 but it's a bit different because Milan are in transition. Milan need these players. They need this sort of sure. maverick in a way. I think that Mihailovic needs a maverick. Mihailovic is a maverick in his own right, and he needs somebody on the pitch that's in his own sort of style and ability. And I kind of think this move's going to be good for him. Let me move on to Juan Cuadrado, who's another player whose move didn't quite work out. He joined Chelsea just in January for around £26 million, I believe, from Fiorentina. Mm-hmm. He's, he started a handful of games, and now he's going on loan to Juventus for the season. Dave, what what's happened there? Because this is a, this is is a just, bizarre one. He just kills attacking midfielders. He's done it at time and a time and again. He's killed Oscar. He's killed William. Yeah. He's killed whoever. He's killed Shirley. Killed, you know, it's I'm mad that a player of Quadrado's ability that was carrying Fiorentina for about two years, playing attacking midfield and drifting around, creating things, scoring brilliant goals, goes to Chelsea and he's told to like live in this tactical defensive structure and his freedom goes, confidence goes, and he is a fantastic sign for signing for Juventus. Perfect to what they need. They, if Juventus put Quadrado at number ten in top of their tip of their diamond, they can do some big things this year. Other transfer news: uh, Benzema has dismissed speculation linking him with Arsenal in uh, interesting fashion on Twitter, saying, in "English, this is my home." <laughs> for all those clowns who want to make believe things at my fans, yeah, this Edward is my Wood. home, Ala Madrid. So he's not going to Arsenal. That's the first answer to that. Um, we've also got Saido Berahino. The saga of him going to Tottenham continues to rumble on. He's handed in a transfer request. It's been How rejected. How do you know it's Tottenham? Sorry? How do you know it's Tottenham? They're, now, the West Brom Tottenham? have come out with a statement saying that they've had 15 clubs interested. Well, you know. He might be, he might be angling for a move to I, QPR. He could. But I'm going to assume one of those clubs <laughs> is Tottenham. Sky Sports yesterday reporting that Spurs made an improved £21 million bid, which has been rejected again. Dave, surely West Brom are just trying to drive the price up to £25 million, get it to that asking price, and then they will allow him to go, seeing as they've signed reinforcements up front. It's bad. He's £22 million for a player that scored, 25. I think he scored something like 10 goals, uh, not I, from penalties. I'm shocked. I'm surprised at this one, because like I was saying last and week, his finishing this season has evidently been poor. It's bad. Why is this someone we're going to spend that amount of money on? Don't get it, mate. Ng is, is a better prospect. I mentioned that before. Ng is a better player. You've already signed Ng. Signing someone like Berahino is going to reduce Ng's minutes. And it's for me, it's crazy. It's crazy money for an English player again. To also How many times? 
wrap up the Spurs news there at the Guardian yesterday reporting that uh, Spurs are in for Asai Ilaramendi, the Real Madrid midfielder. Oh, um, according to the Guardian, uh, I'm going to say that again because someone just came in. <clears throat> Apparently Spurs are also weighing up a move for Asai Ilaramendi. That's according to the Guardian. Wanyama, also someone being linked with uh, Tottenham, another midfielder. So out of those two, Lawrence, who do you think you know Spurs should be sort of going for? It's obviously an area in which we need to improve. Are these the guys to to strengthen? I'd love to see what Errol Amendi does. Yeah, he hasn't really been given a, a fair, a fair crack. Yeah, at Real Madrid. Um, well, I mean, you know, at times he's been given a crack. I, I'd say at Real Madrid, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because you know, whether you get a fair crack or not, you're probably still a great player, and there are a number of players that move on from there and still do great. So of uh, maybe maybe it's sort of worth him playing in another side where maybe some of his qualities will be better appreciated. Um, do you really think he'll fit that well into the Spurs team, though? Like, tactically? Well, I mean, we do need that sort of powerful presence. We need someone who can break up play in the middle of the park. Ryan Mason is a is a good player. He's someone I like a lot, but oh, we, yeah? we need reinforce. I wouldn't, yeah, personally, I wouldn't trust Dyer in that position at all, let alone uh, send it back. But, you know, I think I'm not a massive fan of Wanyama myself, so I think someone like Ilar Mendy could be an interesting side. I don't, I mean, Wanyama's good, but I mean, I'm not dying to see him in a Spurs shirt or anything. But. He does sort of fit that ilk of Spurs players that Spurs would sign in. And it yeah, kind of goes, but I mean, oh god, why the hell did we? Yeah, he looked great there. Yeah, we like Dembele. Dembele was another player. He looked great at Fulham. He looked fantastic, and he's not looking so good at Spurs. But anyway, listen, we'll wrap up the transfer talk there for now, and we'll move on to the questions. A lot of questions. So should we try and get through as many as we can? Go for it, man. Okay. <clears throat> Alex Sanchez says, do you think Alexandra Pato can revive his career? Someone who's been linked with Manchester United in the last few days. I'd love for him to, but it's not going to be at Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, do you think he can revive his career? Um, do you need to move to do that? Or? I hope so. It seemed like it's such promise at the start. Downhill, obviously, off the, off the pitch problems. But no, not Man United. It doesn't, it doesn't fit at the moment. Here's a really interesting one from Luca K at Dreamshake on Twitter. He's saying, do you think the second striker position is dead in modern football? That is a very interesting question. Um, so it means that... Um, it's not dead. It's just changed, hasn't it? There's, you know... There's, there's, there's a num- the number ten role is maybe more prominent now. Um, there's other. I mean, Liverpool played uh, maybe a whole team of second strikers last night. Um, but <laughs> you know, you drop a lot deep. Uh, so it's not dead. I'd imagine there are teams that could still play. I often wonder why you know, te- like, what what would happen if a team did just balls to the wall, sort of go, you know, we'll go fuck it, we'll go four four two. Um, well, I think that's just, where the second striker is in a way now. You look at the likes of Atletico Madrid, the likes of Wolfsburg, it, it's a bit of a 4-4-2. The second striker role has evolved a little bit where yeah. they do play the role of the, if it's a, say it's a, a front two, the second striker at the moment does play that role where you're playing with the target man, you're looking to run in behind, you're looking to do this, you're looking to do that, but you're also coming to the ball as well. So the, the role is still there. I think you look at Antoine Griezmann, obviously a fantastic footballer, the best finisher in world football, I'd say, right now. Um, wow. And then Kevin De Bruyne, obviously linked with Man United and Chelsea. I'd say they're the two glaring examples, but it's, it's an interesting one. You know, you, you, we have seen the likes of David Silva come out or, you know, ball playing attacking midfielders. It's just football. It moves in transitions. Obviously, Man United are trying to play at the moment with 
little success, but it's, it's an interesting one. Yes, the second striker is alive, I think. It's not dead. It's definitely alive. Now, let me ask you this one. I really like this question. It's from uh, <laughs> Kazola Assist, Jeremy AFC, always asking great questions. He's saying, what will Wayne Rooney's legacy be? This is touching on what we were talking about earlier, saying is he past his best? There always feels like this element of maybe... It's a harsh assessment, I'd say, but a talent unfulfilled almost. He never quite lived up to what we expected or the media built up. Is that a fair legacy? Maybe, maybe it's expectation gonna... unfulfilled. Um, but unfair expectation? or um, I mean, possibly. I don't know if it's about fair. I just think there's very high expectation on him. Um, I mean, his, his legacy will also certainly be one uh, where he's remembered not as greedy, but certainly someone who's very good at negotiation. Um, but, but, <laughs> what about the fact that he would almost not good at negotiation? He, he would almost certainly be the all-time right. England scorer. He would almost certainly be the all-time Manchester United top scorer. Do you think that the, the, he's the, never going to go down with you know? He's never going to go down in history, a la Ronaldo, Messi. He's never going to be at that level. He's always just a little bit below. You know, Remember, you look at yeah. certain players like Bobby Charlton that he's compared to uh, quite a lot of the time. Bobby Charlton, you know, I'd, I'd, I didn't see him, but from all knowledge of him he was a bit of a better all-round player um Wayne Rooney's fantastic he scored loads of goals for England and Manchester United but his legacy is never going to be where it should have been with Ronaldo Messi you know we mentioned before about his handling of his body and mm. so forth he had the potential but maybe he had slightly the wrong attitude chasing cash chasing going on the piss in the summer grannies uh, moving, no, moving on. One thing. One thing I will say is there's, there's that there's that old adage of people don't remember what you did, but they remember how you made they you made them feel. And I wonder how far that how true what a truism that is with Wayne Rooney. And you know, Dave compared him to Messi and Ronaldo, uh, and even Bobby Charlton. But, but you know, people look at Bobby Charlton now mm. or look at his legacy as a man, as a player, mm. and you'll see a marked difference. And I know that Wayne exists in this time now, which is different to then, mm. but. Certainly, there are players out there who have got a different legacy to Wayne, and they 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 were certainly a lot less um, a lot less in the public eye. Lovely stuff. I enjoyed that very much. Um, Joe Hamlin asks: Would David Moyes play nicer football with this United <laughs> squad uh, than Louis Van Gaal is currently playing? Dave, let's come to you on that. That's a real tough question. Um, that's it. I don't, David Boyes, his team played some pretty decent stuff at times. Remember the 5 0 win against Leverkusen? Yeah. Shinji Kagawa, Ryan Giggs, Wayne Rooney were playing some lovely stuff. So I think it's just a difference in style. I think the, the, the big issue was David Moyes is more of a reactive manager. Van Hal is more of progressive. Basically, what I mean there is Lou Van Hal's sides want the ball, David Moyes' sides are happy to not have the ball. It's a difficult one. It really is. I think that potentially they could have played better football on the counter-attack if they had the same pace in the side a la Memphis Depay. Uh, you know, Yanazai obviously performed very, very well under Moy. So it's, I'm going to say we've got to wait for this Man United team this season. Hopefully huge, they will click. A huge part of that, Adam, is would, and would Memphis have signed for David Moyes? Well, there you go. Oh, yeah. You know, that's big news. Uh, will Arsenal win the league under Wenger? Um, at Arteta Assist, asking that one. Um, I'm going to say no. Um, not not before he retires. I'll probably be inclined to agree. Yeah. Um, if he yeah. sorts his midfield defensive issues out, yes. If not, no. <laughs> uh, James, oh God, I always get your name wrong, sorry. James Halloran. 
I'm sorry. If United sign Neymar or any other special players, would they actually become deadly in the Premier League? Dave, you sort of mentioned earlier about it. they're missing that world class. You know, they, Neymar they, they can are. play central defence. Neymar would be good, uh, but he's not going to come. Then. He's playing for a new contract, as always, as all of these course. players have done, using the name of Manchester United, disrespecting that name. But they are missing that world-class player, as you mentioned. They definitely are, yes. They're, right. they're missing someone that can change a game. Uh, but then, they, like Lawrence mentioned, they are missing centre-halves more to get to that next level in the Premier League. To become deadly in the Premier League, so I think it's two things. It's scoring goals and being deadly defensively. And that's what they haven't got this season. But a sign like Neymar would definitely pick everybody up at the club. It, they would become better on the offence. But it's it's more than that. I think it's the fluidity. It's getting everything together. Everything needs to click. That's the thing. And you, Sorry. you don't know where these players can come in and will make it click. We've seen you know, uh, uh, Angel Di Maria come in and it didn't click. So, question marks. Alex Emery, Emery on Twitter. Alex James Emery said, Does Joe Gomez's early form prove that more Premier League clubs should sign championship youngsters, Lawrence? I don't know if it proves, but it certainly alludes to the idea, at least, doesn't it? I mean, it was a great, it was a great performance. But, um, I mean, what I was surprised with was that he ended up going to Liverpool. I think that, you know, I heard Arsenal were in for him at one point. Um, he's, a, he's a great signing. Um, and Brendan Rodgers... I mean, the really good the good thing for for um, Joe is that Liverpool didn't have anyone that was dominating that position, and Moreno seems to not be considered in that way. It was an interesting tactical shift last night when I mean they almost played two left backs at one point Liverpool, um, which was fascinating. So when when they brought Oxley Chamberlain on, basically he went <laughs> all right two left backs, and then they had Moreno and Gomez to shut him down, and either one or the other would break. So that was quite interesting tactically because both of them could take it forward quite well. Um, He's grown into the role apparently very, very well. You can't always tell how players are going to do that. But, um, I mean, Liverpool bought from QPR when, um, when they had, you know, Sterling. Um, and, you know, yeah. it's not common for people to buy from lower league. We just uh, Spurs signed Deli Alley, who looked all right. I guess yeah. Leicester looked decent, didn't he? Deli um, Alley, great name. It sounds like um, a, a food corridor. <laughs> yeah, it does indeed. Um, a lot of people ask about Borussia Dortmund. So let me try and... Uh, get them all in in one go. So, uh, CEI Sharif. No, it's not better than Klopp. What does BBV's fantastic season start say about Jurgen Klopp? It says that Maybe he, he wasn't that vital after all. No, it says, it says that he developed a great squad um, and a, a, a very buccaneering, impressive, um, good-to-get-behind philosophy that he then passed on to another coach who is being very humble in the way that he assesses his own achievements at the club so far. And someone who's trying to play down the idea that this is all on, only him. Mm -hmm. What it does show is that um, they made some very small changes, apparently to diet and um, early season training. The players do look fitter. Mm -hmm. um, the, the players do look like they've, they're eating better, etc., etc. Um, so it shows that what he did was he laid down a blueprint at the club. And it's a blueprint that is going very well so far this season. Even if they've tweaked it, which they have ever yeah. so slightly, um, it's still, still there. Dave, let me follow up on what Lawrence is saying there with another question. So, Ooh, round two. Piotr Gala, uh, Peter the Polish on Twitter says, BVB analysis, please. As a BVB fan, I would greatly appreciate it. Talk about Borussia Dortmund predictions, where they'll finish. Right, I'm going to give you one at a time. Here. <clears throat> so, okay. very briefly, where do you think you're going to finish this season? Okay, uh, personally, so Lawrence's points were fantastic. 
Jurgen Klopp, great ground root, mm-hmm. roots yes. of the game. The thing that what Tufel's come in and done is he's changed the system. He's gone, instead of playing two holding midfielders in a 4-2-3-1, he's now playing a 4-1-4-1. He's got one holding midfielder in Julian Welt, who's been absolutely awesome. 19-year-old, check him out, brilliant player. But what it's done, he's given the confidence back. Shinji Kagawa looks like a new man. Omrik McTyrian, he's just completely changed. Last season, I think he went like 50, 60 shots without scoring. This season, he scored two goals already in the Bundesliga. He looks so, so sharp. It's really interesting how a new manager coming in give you new confidence, change the style up a bit. They're much better on the ball. They the defensive midfielder drops in between the centre halves and they they move the ball very well. I think they're going to be second in this this season because they are playing very much like Bayern Munich. It's really interesting mm-hmm. how when Jurgen Klopp was in Bayern Munich, uh, sorry Dortmund set the tone of the style of play, the the four two three one counter attacking. Heckles copied that when Bayern the Champions League. Similar to what's happening now, Guardiola's come in playing this ball-playing philosophy. Tufel has come in now, and he's also playing this ball, ball-playing philosophy. So it's going to be really, really interesting. I cannot Dave. wait for the classicers. They're going to be brilliant. Well, apparently, apparently Tuchel was was very uh, had some in- intimate meetings with Pep at one point, um, and they discussed quite a lot of things, um, which is interesting. Dave, you've pretty much covered everything that uh, was asked for there by Peter. He said, talk about the tactics, talk about the wonder kid, talk about where Dortmund is strengthened, yada, yada. He also said, love you guys, which is the oh. nice way to answer the question. When so they mentioned the youngsters, we mm. did get feedback on young players last week. Should we I'm going to come on to that, mate. I'm going to come on to that before I wrap it up. Don't just want to make sure, Adam, because we've got a lot of feedback covered, that mate. we don't cover that people get pissed off We've about. got a couple <laughs> of minutes. I want to whip through these questions very quickly. I want one sentence answers. Okay? Lawrence. Hugh Bauscher said, what do you make of Pedro's debut? Uh, fantastic. Looks great in a black kit. Uh, really enjoyed the way that he dived at the back line. Some people talking about the way that um, he ruins wingers, Mourinho that is. Uh, look mm. at the likes of Robin, Duff, etc., etc. Uh, Pedro's in a very similar mould. Uh, very interesting at looking at how often he played and therefore maybe his acceptance and mindset when approaching the way that Mourinho will play him at Chelsea. <laughs> That was the longest one sentence ever. I loved it. Um, Joe Joe Batista says, Man City Invincibles, Dave. No. Next. Next. Joe Batista also asks, he also asks, Lawrence, please can you go off as a rant as you did last podcast? Thanks, mate. Did Did that count against Jermaine Defoe? Yeah, yeah, you sort of did. You did say you did tell him to fuck off. So I mean, my my girlfriend did say the other day, she was like, you know what? I like you when you're calm. I was like, (laughs) okay. Um, Dave, do you think League 1 is getting boring with PSG already opening up a four-point gap to Monaco? That was from Nicola, Nicola F. No, I think the teams are going to come back. A la Lyon, Marseille, uh, you know, they're going to they'll beat Monaco. They're, they just need to hit their four. Don't worry. PSG will, will drop points. Dayson uh, Adamson says, who was a better player, R9 or Thierry Henry? Ooh, woof. Answer that in one, question, uh, one sentence. Um... Shit. Ronaldo on a more very basis. Thierry Henry had an incredible peak, but Ronaldo was incredible. And what you would say, oh, that's hard, isn't it? I'm going to go Henry. Just I would because his longevity, season after season, Ronaldo had, yeah. it was a little bit injury prone yeah. in his career. Fantastic when he was fit, but Henry had that brilliant spell of about six years where he was yeah. the best player in the Premier League. I can't, I can't disagree with that. Um, but, I mean, Ronaldo also existed. Ronaldo existed in a time just before... Armory existed, and they're, they're almost two different eras of football, aren't they? It, yeah. Armory was just beautiful, oh, oh, whereas maje- it, it, it was slightly more majestic than Ronaldo. So maybe maybe I'll change my answer. R9 never won the Champions League, did he? Or did he not? 
Um, um, they did in the World Cup, mate. So what does it matter? Um, but so did Thierry. Well, there you go. See. God, that's a great question, isn't it? Mm, good one. Um, I changed my mind now. I want to go Thierry. Yeah, let's all go Thierry. I kind of um, want to go Ronaldo now. Uh, Chadwick Gonzalez says, Luke. is Luka Modric the best centre midfielder in the world? No. No. Is. Did you see Lucas no. Leighton's uh, performance on Monday night? Do you see him, mate? Yeah. Does, do you know who Sergio Busquets is, lads? Come on. Oh, Andres Iniesta, Rakitic, the lads at Barcelona are better than, than Luka Modric. He's good. Sorry. He's good. He is very good. Great. Interesting with Real this weekend, they were bloody boring. Oh, this, brings, us, this brings me on to the, what will be the final question, perfectly. How's that interesting, Dave? Faizo Hazala on Twitter said, do you think Madrid are facing another trophyless season? He says he hopes not. I thought it was very interesting that um, someone was pointing out that Ronaldo, how long has he been at uh, um, Real Madrid now? What, seven years? Seven 2008, years? I think he moved. Seven, eight years? Almost seven. This will be his seventh year, won't it? He, he hasn't actually won a massive amount of major trophies. So he's Title won the... should have stayed in Manchester, Ronaldo, if you're listening. He's won the Champions know. League, obviously, with that decima. He's won the league title once, I believe. You know but, what, though? I mean, Ren- you know, um, it, it, we, we, call it decima. we call it the decima, and it sounds like this huge achievement because it makes it sound like they've won 10 of them. They only won the one. Yeah, that's what, um, that's what the, I mean. But the club's history. Obviously a massive rest. achievement, but at the same time, two Copa del Reyes, one Super Copa, one UEFA Super Cup, I mean, Club World Cup, they don't really count as major honours, do you know what I mean? What you do wonder is, if Ronaldo, I, I think he sort of assumed he'd win a lot more whilst he was there. Yeah, and get the chance to move on earlier, and I think like there's there no doubt he's going to he go down. He got sucked into the Real Madrid dream, and the dream didn't come. But he will be the all-time highest Real Madrid scorer ever, which is yeah. he's going to go down in the club history. He will go down as one of the greatest players of all time. It'd but it's just surprising that they haven't won more. You think with the the resources, the players, the money they've spent. Yeah, but they're up against Barcelona, one of the greatest. Teams go, of yeah, time, going, so. going back to the question, they've got one of the you know Barcelona are the best team in the, in Europe. So they've got to beat them in a number even, of Maybe even the world, you might say. In the, in the world, you'd say, yeah, 100%. But I think the problem with Madrid is they need to find that fluidity. At <laughs> uh, the weekend, they, were, they just looked dodgy. Gareth Bale mm. isn't, isn't really a number 10. Um, you need someone like James Rodriguez, who excels in that position, to play there. He was on the bench, though, wasn't he, Dave? Really weird one. Really, really strange one. Benitez is a bit confused. I think ba- get, get Bale out left, Ronaldo out right, and then play James Rodriguez through the middle behind you know, Benzema or Jesse Rodriguez. That would work with Benitez. You know, uh, what's he called? James Rodriguez is very, mu- very much like Pablo Neymar. Sorry, Pablo Neymar. Neymar. Pablo Neymar. Sorry, Neymar. <laughs> That is, no, that is a player, isn't it? What you're going with there is you're going with what we think Benitez wants and, what's, mm. and then what best fits that. Yes. I worry that Benitez's philosophy, the more and more we see it, may be a little bit at odds with what Real Madrid are currently trying to construct. And I, I, Is he trying to fit a square peg into a round hole sometimes? Yes, Let's move on to a little bit of the feedback, a little bit of the response to last week's questions. Yeah. So we were talking about the best player outside of Europe's top five leagues. Those, yep. those, and we sort of put the question out there, you tell us. So we've got a few suggestions here. Uh, Connor Hornby says, Jetro Williams mm. and also Andres Guardado is a beast, beast to PSV. Beast, bruv. Good suggestion. Wild and Crazy Mexican said, uh, I think Jesus M. Corona from Twente is a brilliant young winger that, mm. takes, that takes people on for fun. 
Uh, and, uh, and a job, it turns out. So. Yeah, it is his job. Alex Kofi says, Yassine Brahimi. There's another shout. Are, they, are these lads going over, though? But Brahimi is about 25. Is that still young? Yeah, I love Brahimi. He's, a, he's and sick. He's sick 25, 25 or under, isn't it, maybe? 23 uh, yeah, or Youngish. 23 or under normally. But, I mean, if you're playing an under-21 under squad at the Olympics, um, you can play. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Oscar Nicholas Anderson said, Marcus Rosenberg for Malmo. How do you think Marcus Rosenberg about 32? Yeah, he's 32. <laughs> did, did we say young players? Or did I, know, we just I say think we best? said best player. Yeah. So, yeah, Marcus Rosenberg, great shout. Yeah, there you go. It doesn't matter. Great um, shout. Kevin, well, what, that from, was linked to a question, though, wasn't it? There was something along the lines of someone asked um, us who was player. the best young player in Europe or something. So I don't know. Was it best I don't player? Know. I think it might have been Someone best just player. asked us best player outside of the top five leagues yeah. in Europe. So, sure. Great shout, lads. Um, Matthew Hayden. On Twitter says, "Look at Pione Sisto from FC. Oh my God, it's a what? It's, it's a Norwegian one. Midtjylland. Midtjylland. Yeah. I can't believe Dave yeah. is teaching me how to pronounce stuff. But yeah, yeah. Matthew Hayden said him. Um, we also got Kevin Prunty or Prunty on Twitter saying Sebastian Giovinco for top player outside of Europe's top five leagues. Hey, MLS hey, seventeen goals, twelve assists, and fifty-four shots on goal." He, nice he is stats. banging him in. He is banging he, him in. He really is. Yeah, and Not he's next to you. We also got an absolutely fantastic suggestion for uh, the best back four. Yeah. Now, Drog, Drogba, Drog, Drogba spelled with a V, says uh, Desai, Blanc, Turan, and Lizarazu conceded uh, two goals is a joke. in France 98. Two goals in the entire tournament. That is incredible team. Quite something. Brilliant. Fantastic suggestions. And we've also got a last one here from um, Aaron E, who wants us to talk about this is more of a topic from last week, he says. But what do you think uh, about what do you three think about allowing three foreign players into a squad and only allowing two naturalized as a means to strengthen the national team's success? I am a diehard Mexico fan, and while I enjoy watching Liga MX, I feel although we have the same problem as the BPL at the moment, where all of the stars of the league are foreigners. Yes, the way the system is now uh, is clearly good for business, but if we could simply get past the round of 16 again and then forget all the money in the world. Thoughts? Now, I've heard this suggested um, in England a number of times about how you know we should limit the amount of foreign players that play for the team, yada yada, but that's actually against European Union rules and laws <laughs> restricting... Aaron, you're not allowed <laughs> to do that in Europe, pal. Yeah, so in Europe you can't do that. You can't restrict um, someone else in the European Union working in another country. That applies to football. You can't, you know, put quotas on it and, and caps and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But, I mean, what do you guys make of what Aaron's saying there about maybe that could work in other leagues? I see what his point is. I mean, I, I think sport especially should be... Um, you you should be able to put rules on it like that because it... it it's about fairness, but in another way and about the development of the sport overall. And um, that's part of the problem. It, it depends what your end goal is. If your end goal is globalization, and essentially that's what the Premier League is, is it's a product of a time when we were sold globalization, then, you know, don't put your caps on because, uh, or, you know, at some point they may choose to put a cap on because it's more marketable. Um, that's kind of it. Is most people say, well, you know, the, the market dictates and the market dictates that actually we need to have more players from all these different countries. Does so the market it also dictate? Sorry, doing? sorry. Does it not dictate that we should be producing better players then? Because but, but that's the point, Dave. Is that actually yeah. the Premier League's reply to that would be, well, the market in the end will mean that 
those players will come through and it'll go in it'll go in waves but the problem being i mean we're seeing this in the real world right now is that the problem is that the market is a human construction and b such an unpredictable place that you don't always get what you wish for um and only certain people will so there are going to be people making immense amounts of money from having foreign players in the league and bringing those players in difficult to displace those guys because the power structure dictates that they will be the more powerful people and therefore have a bigger say and so you sort of have this issue of um you know do we begin to cap things do we begin to try and get more centralized control and then some people say well that's not free or do we say well it's for the greater good and that you know we need to give people the chance and it and what we then have to acknowledge that's going to make for a different spectacle to the one that we are currently constructing or is currently being constructed mm. I know that's a very sort of pithy, um, vague answer, but it, it, it probably requires like a whole podcast. It's a really great yeah. paragraph that's written there. Um, and I think it's a really interesting subject. I'd mm, love to know what other interesting debate. You know, would you, would you, you know, because, for instance, there are people who are English who are coming through. Mm. You know, Joe Gomez is one um, at Liverpool. Henderson is another one at Liverpool. Ives is another one at Liverpool. Sterling's one at Man City. Shaw's one um, at Manchester United. Okay, uh, Mason. That, to some extent. Um, there's, there's a number, yeah, Mason, um, Dyer, right? Well, a number yeah. of young English players, Harry Kane. There's a number of young English players who are thriving in the league. And, mm. um, and I think sometimes, you know, we can go down the Daily Mail route. But I, <laughs> I know, I mean, the top comment on YouTube this week is Lawrence loved the sound of his own voice. Um, but, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I love it as well, Lawrence. Where? Where's short that? Answer. It's my short answer. Where's Let's that? Put it that way. It's not a football daily video, I think. Oh, yeah. Old um, news. You'll always let me, uh, let's round it off with three what Dave has called banter questions in, in, yeah. in the show notes with a Z at the end of questions. Dave, write the notes. Um, Gaia on Twitter, Jill Tomphill says, if puddles evaporate into the sky and create puddles, if puddles evaporate into the sky and create other puddles, is there only one puddle or many? That is very philosophical. Um, I do you want to go first. Um, I'd say that there is an ecosystem of water. Do you want to call the whole world a puddle? We're all just splashing around in it. Great answer. I'd argue that they are meant. There's many puddles, but the puddle changes from one puddle to many puddles at the same time. uh, So you're looking at a puddle on the ground. It's in an ecosystem of other puddles, but then when it's in the sky, it's one puddle. Maybe there's no puddles. Maybe. What is a puddle? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've said the word puddle too many times. It's starting to lose meaning. Um, Man like Urzil. 11 on Twitter says, which is worse, Michael Owen's commentary or Mike Williamson? Michael Owen's commentary. Next. And then finally, Matt says, is Adam mad about Soldado scoring on his debut? No. Uh, no. Why would I be mad? I was saying last week, was mad that Spurs fans love Soldado. They wish him well and fair play to him. He, he's, he's scoring a goal. I like that. I like that. He deserves Didn't it. We all know that would happen, though. We all knew that would happen. Yeah, of course. When, when I mean, look at Paulinho as well, right? He just scored a, a DC's banger that he scored for uh, in China. No? No. Yeah, it was a sick goal, mate. It was 40 yards out. Pretty bloody it in the top good. Corner. You leave Spurs, mate, everything everything starts coming up Millhouse. Anyway, that is going to wrap up episode 19 of the front three. I think that was a great episode, guys. I think we did a great job. Pat on the back for us all there. Even if you do say so yourself. Yeah, I think it was great. Um, it was good fun to record anyway, so hopefully people yeah, have it was, as much it fun. it was good stuff. Actually, lads, I, I just deleted all the, the German names off my phone. It's now hands-free. It's now hands-free. What? <laughs> oh, <Dave. laughs> oh, no, Dave. <laughs> we really need to go.
really we wow. need to go. I hope you, right. you, you stuck around for I that band together. I am so sorry. Please, leave five-star rating <laughs> Where did that come from? It, it came from like, there's a web spreading this crap today. Dave, <laughs> I... Uh, it was like it was like an RKO out of nowhere. That was the number one joke at the Fringe Festival. I tried to yeah. drop it in there, but I, I lost my t- I lost my time to do it. So I, I did it at the end, and it was it was a load just of like shit. The, the most inappropriate time to drop it in, just like randomly, <laughs> just like boom. A joke. <laughs> got got away for the moment. He, he waited too long for the moment. He dropped it in, but uh, sorry, lads. <laughs> I was like, what is he talking about? I was like, what's going on there? <laughs> anyway, that, I think that's the perfect place to end it. I think that's great. <laughs> great banter there to end it on. Um, guys, uh, Dave, for more banter like oh, that, th- where can the good people find you for the, that, that classic? Oh, God, I'm, I'm crying. It's that funny. But sorry, right. So <laughs> at Squawker Dave, S-Q-U-A-W-K-A, Dave on Twitter, then you'll find my YouTube and it'll be linked together or try Dave O'Brien, David O'Brien TV on YouTube and like oh, some videos, watch them, they're a lot of fun. Lovely stuff, Lawrence. Uh, go to Lozcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. And Adam, what about you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood or on YouTube, The Football Republic. We have just hit 36,000 subscribers. They said it could never be done. Um, but it was. No one so, said that. Adam. <laughs> no, no, no one, one did say that. that. I'm lying. Um, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.